Good morning, Scrumbo Freaks. Good morning, exit warriors across the great bands of power and titanium. Good morning to the miners and the ditch diggers and the people drilling for that ancient lost gold someplace, you know, in the mountains someplace, the lost gold. It's Monday, uh, right around 9 a.m., and soon we'll be talking with my friend Jim about some interesting topics. But um, before we do, I just want to mention something. It is Monday. It is almost 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time here in Utah. Right here in Utah. It's almost 9 a.m. Monday, January the 24th, 2022. You're not dead yet. You're still, your heart's still beating, right? I grabbed my cup of coffee. I did. I grabbed it this morning. Before I did, I, I rode my tricycle down to the Maverick. The Maverick is like a Chevron or a 7-Eleven. It's a thing here in Utah. I went to the Maverick, and I went to its its hot light zone, its cooking zone, where they make the monkus meat. I went there and saw for myself the tortilla of regret, the burrito of despair. I took the bacon bundle of your own doom. Yes, I had the bacon bundle of doom. The tasty bacon bundle of doom. The doom bundle, it makes you feel so good. So I grabbed the burrito of despair and the the bacon bundle of doom. I I use my Sklingas card to get whatever fiat money moneyages coinages I can get from that fucker Jerome pal. I exited the Maverick and got back on my trike, and the rooster down the street went cock-a-doodle-doo, but not in a cool way, kind of in a messed up ser- serial killer van kind of way. I got back to my place, and I swallowed that bacon bundle, that grizzle. I incrogulated myself with drinktus. I fed my own soul with the bronchozoid. I ensured the tablets were being obeyed. Yes, indeed. And now my stomach is grumbling. Because inside of my belly, in my tummy, is nothing that could be remotely called food. It is an experiment. You see, I'm old now, so what I'm useful for is experiments. Like yesterday, I went to McDonald's to get Chicken McNuggets because you can get 20 of them for 5 bucks, and that's some kind of fucking deal. I'm certain the McNuggets are made out of 
wood pulp and broken glass and diesel fuel and old metal shavings and old dead rats. All of it goes into the vat. All of it gets bleached white. All of it gets turned into a powder and then into a paste. And then they mold it. They injection mold it into those beautiful little shapes. The trapezoid, the circle, the the triangle motherfucker, all the little fucking McNugget shapes, right? That make you, it seems like it's real, but what the fuck is it? Now, before my friend Jim shows up, I would like to discuss something. One of our topics today, I'm going to drink a little coffee here. One of our topics for today concerns the situation in the Ukraine. Now, one of the reasons why I eschewed military topics in the last year or so, for the most part, I try to avoid them. I try to avoid them for different reasons. Number one, It's hard to know when these are real things or they're just being used to manipulate people. A lot of what goes on with respect to the U.S. Armed Forces, with respect to the CIA, with respect to the whole national security state, a lot of what goes on is just manipulation. It's fear-mongering. They want to buy a new bomber, a new missile. They want you to buy a new tank. They want you to buy a lot of shit you just don't fucking need. And in order for you to to get you to buy this shit, they have to tell you that somebody or something or some alien, some motherfucker with a laser cannon is about to invade Amazon.com and you're not going to get your shit delivered. Some motherfucker is about to invade Pornhub. You won't be able to see those busty women running for their life in the swamp. Somewhere there's an alien with a laser cannon. He's looking at your beer. He's looking at your women. He's looking at your house. He wants to have a party and then set it on fire, baby. The national security state um, is the John, in a sense. Uh, these, these companies, I guess you could say, are the pimps, but really they're the hookers, they're both. And I guess I don't know what we are. You know, we're the currency. We're the throwaway garbage. But they want to scare you. So I haven't wanted to talk about the Ukraine because I don't want to scare you about something that you might not even have to worry about. But since it keeps popping up in the news... And since it seems to be the current fear engine, fear fear machine uh, for the system, because, hey, the first halftime show we had during the monkey herpes was the race war. You remember that? The race war, BLM Antifa. That was the first halftime show. Now, me personally, I don't think we get another halftime show. But if there is one, it could be the Ukraine... Putin, what's he going to do? Oh my God, 
and then they can turn the monkey herpes back on again sometime in, I don't know, July or August. Because the only thing I am certain of is we're being lied to. So if I talk about the Ukraine as if it's the truth, I think I'm doing you a disservice. I don't know if any of what we're being told about the situation in the Ukraine is true. But what I want to do before Jim gets here is talk talk you through some basic you know, analytics and talk through some information. Number one, in the notes for this podcast, there are links. There are links to articles that deal with, for example, morale within the United States military. Um, I have been told by people who know better because I haven't been in the military for 20, 20 plus years, but um, I've been told by people who know better that the morale in the U.S. military stinks. And I think it probably matches the morale in American society, which pretty much stinks. And so I don't really know that we have the national energy to wage a war anywhere, let alone in in Russia or the Ukraine. So that's something I think you need to think about before we continue talking about this. I don't know that the U.S. military is capable. Um, A few years ago, it came out. And I'm, and I'm going to discuss this, but it came out a few years ago that the United States military, and this was under Trump, was moving to smaller yield nuclear weapons, you know, basically 5 to 15 kilotons, I think. Well, guess what? That roughly matches the initiator on a hydrogen bomb or a thermonuclear weapon. And so it might be the case that they're doing this. It also might be the case that they haven't been able to replace the tritium in our nuclear stockpile, our nuclear weapons stockpile in many years. And if that's the case, we don't technically have duds, but what we have are a lot of 15 and 5 and 10 and 20 kiloton devices, which will still do tremendous amounts of fucking damage, but they're not going to vaporize a whole fucking city. So before I get into this, there are some things you need to just understand from my perspective, and the links are there, you know. Um, Back in 2014, when this nonsense started with Ukraine, I was deeply alarmed. I have a couple links to a couple videos I made in March of 2014 during the whole maiden affair. And if, if you're upset, if I get upset, you just need to know. At the time, I thought it was crazy. I thought the whole thing was crazy. I mean... Nothing about what we were told made any historical sense. The situation with the Crimea was complete and total nonsense, as expressed by our government at the time, by the Obama administration. I mean, if you're going to say Crimea is not Russian, then believe me, Texas, Puerto Rico, California, there are a couple other places I can name are definitely not part of the United States. But again, you know, they don't ever think of that in those terms. They never explain to you the historical context. They just tell you, well, during the Soviet period, they gave Crimea to the Ukraine. I'll let you on a little secret. A lot of sketchy fucking shit happened in the Soviet Union. A lot of shit. Some of, some of it involved killing millions of people. Some of it involved a lot of crooked trading of land. Okay. So, so if you're going to like tell me about the whole, well, didn't they give Crimea? You know what? The Soviets took East Prussia, and now it's called Kaliningrad. All right? That's essentially where Immanuel Kant, I think, was, you know, he lived his life uh, there in East Prussia, Prussia in Konigsberg. 
doesn't exist anymore. So please don't tell me your bullshit about things that are named and what they are. Do a little bit of historical research about what actually happens. But do not use the Soviet period as an example of diplomatic or international grace, because it wasn't. Okay? It's weird when neocons use Soviet examples. It's just plain fucking weird. You know, Soviet example. Well, didn't they agree? Yeah. You know, I think Joseph Stalin made some fucking agreements too, you fuck. Are you going to honor those fucking agreements, you ass? I hope not, you dick. Yeah, sorry about that. I just want to go through this quickly. We have a few minutes. Um, it takes about 8 to 10 hours to drive from the border of the Ukraine to Moscow. Now, you may not think that's a big deal, but that's a big deal if you're a Russian or if you're the president of Russia and you don't want your government toppled by NATO. And believe me, they know what we all know. NATO, and specifically the United States, has a history, a recent history of the last few decades of toppling fucking governments. So the fact that they would be a little bit concerned to have a NATO nation basically a day's drive away from Moscow, I think, given the history of things, I would be deeply fucking concerned. And then I can't imagine deploying German troops to the Ukraine. If that ever happened, believe me, you may not remember World War II. The Russians do. And, and they may not like Stalin or the fucking communists, but they do care about their brothers and sisters just like you do. And they know what the Nazis did. And if you want to say, well, these are the good Germans, you know, I think the Russians would laugh at you and want to hit you over the head with a fucking bat. If NATO stations troops in the Ukraine, they will be a few hours away um, from being able to talk, attack Moscow. And I think that's something we should all consider and think about. Another thing, you know, to consider is they've been talking about these Russian buildups. One of them was in Yelnia. Yelnia is between Moscow and Belarus. Yelnia is where you would train in Russia, your own fucking country, if you were worried about being attacked. I know, I know, NATO and the United States don't attack people, but just in case, right? Um... I just something to think about, right? You know, before we get into this whole thing, I personally think this is what's going to happen if anything does happen. There'll be some kind of false flag, you know. The Germans and the Europeans have a history of that. There'll be some kind of false flag, and it will be designed to make it look like the Russian separatists attacked the Ukrainians. And then the Ukrainians will have their causes belly, their reason for going to war against the Russian zone of the Ukraine, not against Russia. In this phase of the scenario, it's Ukrainian armed forces versus, versus the Russian separatists. And if it goes as I would expect it to go, I think the Ukrainians would get their butts kicked. Um, I, I, I think there's no question about it. It's why I think Putin is most likely just to, just to you know, stay out of it. I think he would like to see NATO look like a fool. And, and frankly, I think he would like to see Ukraine destroy itself, or at least the Ukrainian government destroy itself. So I don't think Putin is going to invade the Ukraine. I do think 
that NATO and the CIA, they want to pump you up with a lot of fear. But the reality is everywhere they've shown Russians training are places that you would train if you were worried about being invaded by NATO and countries to the West. And so calling it something about the Ukraine is kind of just crazy. Um, yeah. So here's a scenario. False flag, Ukrainian forces launch an attack in the Russian zones. I think the Chinese might do some hanky-panky at the same time, but that's a separate topic. If Putin is smart, I don't think he does anything. I think he steps off. I think he probably uses some of his own economic tools, just like our own government is likely to use SWIFT, which is part of the banking system. It essentially allows the credit card system and the banking system to work in a lot of ways. They'll probably use SWIFT and a few other things to attack Russia, and the Russians will retaliate. But in reality, um, if Putin does nothing, like I said, in a few weeks, I think it's over and the Ukrainian government has a bloody nose uh, and it's a failure and it looks like a NATO failure. If Putin does not play it cool, um, if he decides to be aggressive and frankly, you know what, guys, if if the Russians or the Chinese were building military bases in Mexico I kind of think that would bother us. I kind of think it would probably create tension within American society. And I think there would even be a few senators and Congress people who'd say, this looks like an act of war. So what I am telling you right now is we are doing that there in the Ukraine to the Russian people. So you can say all the bullshit you want to about this and that, and please don't say we're defending freedom. You're a dumb fuck after the last two years if you think it's about freedom, you fuck. You're a, you're, a, you're a complete stupid person. Sorry. So we're not defending freedom. Yeah. So, so if Putin decides to go crazy and if Putin decides to act, then he invades the Ukraine. Um, and I think probably within a few weeks it's over. And then the question is, what, do, what does the United States do? Do we do guerrilla warfare? You know, um, we could end up doing that. Do we escalate to conventional warfare? That would be kind of crazy. You know, during the Cold War, they called World War III the come-as-you-are war because the weapon systems being built then and still being built today require a lot of labor-intensive work. And robots can do a lot, but they can't do everything, especially with those wire bundles. Anywho, um, the come-as-you-are war was the notion that you would run through your fancy conventional weapons relatively quickly, and then then you have to ask what comes next. And a lot of thinkers back then believed that we would run through our fancy weapons within a few weeks, that, that maybe within a few weeks, perhaps a few months, we would be at the point of simply, you know, tanks, rifles, artillery, you know, some aircraft, and probably the question of, do we now transition to nuclear warfare? So... If Putin does invade and we decide, I say we, if NATO decides to respond and attack Russia, then it could stay conventional for a few weeks. But after a few weeks, I think you would run the risk of it becoming nuclear. And it might even go nuclear sooner. It's hard to say. So Jim's coming up here in a few minutes. I'm going to shut up and, and walk myself out and get ready for him. Here is my friend Jim on the phone. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing pretty good, Dan. How you been? 
eh, you know, good and bad, plus and minus. Um, not, you know, I, I got some stuff going on in my family life that's kind of got me thinking and a bit stressed out, but the way that life can be sometimes, but that's about it, you know. Yeah, I heard about your cousin. I'm sorry. I hope he gets better. Well, we're saying prayers, and, you know, prayer is a thing. It's powerful. So, you know, if you're out there and you're listening, if you can say a prayer for my cousin, um, Jesus knows his name. So I don't need to say anything else about him. I try to protect his privacy because he's a private person. But if you can say a prayer for my cousin, um, he's very sick right now, and he could use the Lord's help. So there you go. So you doing okay, Jim? Oh, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm working on some projects. I've got a call this afternoon with one of my uh, people in the finance industry who's going to talk about some of the deals he's got going on. Cool. Writing business plans, doing this and that. Cool. Well, the first topic that we were going to discuss was come out of Babylon. And go ahead. Well, in um, Revelation 18... um, Babylon, the great has fallen, has fallen. And um, one of the things that uh, a voice from heaven says is, come out of her, my people, that you partake not in her punishments and poisons. And I think that's important. I think that people need to see what's really happening now um, and what is coming. And what is happening now is that the people in the big cities have gone crazy. They have um, accepted as their Lord and Savior an artifact of human hands. They are, they've made the state into their master and their God. And accordingly, when they were told to hate their neighbors for not wearing masks, and when they were told to put on more than one mask, and when they were told to take a poison jab, they began doing those things. They, they obeyed. They chose who they would serve. And I believe that there will be punishments visited upon them for that, um, visited upon the people who are responsible for all that. And it's, you know... It's a fear of the pestilence that is going to bring the pestilence, and it is a fear of war and the sword that is going to bring the sword. And I encourage people who believe otherwise, who do not believe that the state is their savior, who believe that they um, should worship God, and who do worship God, um, I encourage them to come out of Babylon and uh, avoid the punishments that are coming to Babylon. And what do I mean by Babylon? I mean this this terrible structure of idolatry and indignation that we find in all of the major cities on the coasts. You know, I think we talked about this once um, back in 2017, when we were working on some stuff together and and it was the issue of can we do anything as agorists or voluntarists or anarchists can we do anything to save the city and and i really meant it earnestly back then and i mean it earnestly now like 
I know that the, the probably, if you have the resources, it would be wise to get out of a major city at this point. But is there some way, and can we have thoughts of the possibility that people could in fact behave rationally with each other in these cities and maybe they can't keep it going, but they can restore some type of existence after things kind of collapse? Well, I think it's very, very difficult to see that happening. But yes, I do think that, you know, people can be innovative and clever and you can build uh, greenhouses on the roofs of buildings that used to be apartment complexes and office towers. And you can do a lot of things. You can put up, you know, solar panels and windmills, different things in cities. Um, you can raise crops in city parks and you can you know, maybe herd some animals, chickens, things like that. Um, but I'm not sure that that's, um, you know, really... I, I, I don't think that addresses some of the problems that are coming. Uh, I, I don't expect that the people who, uh, the, you know, the champagne socialists who think that they run the world uh, are going to be satisfied with uh, the disobedience of the people who leave the cities. And so I think there's going to be wars between the people who, you know, think that they own Washington, D.C., and that people who dare to come and talk about not wearing masks and not taking the jab are, you know, uh, invaders and I, I, I don't think that the people living in the cities are going to be told that they should you know, put up with that. They're going to be sent out into the countryside to grab food. This is what, you know, this yeah. is what the Soviets did. But the thing is, dude, most of the people, like Seattle, for example, most of the people that I knew in the cities were kind of unhealthy already before the monkey herpes. And I can't imagine the monkey herpes has made them physically more resilient. So what we're talking about, if we are talking about armies going out from the cities to attack the countryside, it's got to be after some training or they're just being sent out to die. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, and, and, and I think both of those things are true. I think that you know, if you look at um, the way the Soviets treated the people in the cities and in the countryside, they did give them some training and they did give them some weapons. But, you know, the, the, the Nazis invaded and the Russians were grabbing people off the streets and sending them to the front lines essentially without training. And they lost a lot and, of Russians because of that. Uh, you know, <clears throat> right around 25 million people in Russia died in combat during World War II, right? Um, and I think, and I guess I should say the Soviets, 25 million Soviets died in combat. Um, and that's the number one, you know. Now, of course, they had a, you know, a huge territory and they had lots of Soviet socialist republics that we now think of as independent states. But at the same time, yeah, they, they, they lost more than anybody else in that war. Um, and, um, yeah, according to some of the stories, you know, they were told, well, you're not carrying a rifle, but you're following someone who is carrying a rifle. 
So if um, you know if that person gets shot, you pick up their rifle and you shoot it. That's right. Oh great! Oh, oh oh great! That's that's great. You know that's a great that's a great thing. You know. So um, replacement, uh, you know, killers. It's not. Um, it's not a compassionate good thing. I mean, you know, you know about the punishment brigades. Yeah, that's how you clear fled. minefields. You clear minefields that way, Jim. Right. People who fled were intercepted by a blocking group, a battalion or a company of, of soldiers who were there because people would flee the front lines. And then they were assigned to a punishment brigade and marched across a minefield to clear the mines by blowing up and some of them survived being in the punishment brigades and some of them were rehabilitated into you know other other units but you know this is um this is horrifying this is this is the degradation that the state imposes on people and what you're worshiping is not love but death you end up with a lot of death. Yeah. So I want to I switch topics a little bit, but still kind of on the same thread, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I don't want to spend more time on this than you want to, because me personally, as topics go, topics of war have all kinds of negativity associated with them, and often you end up perpetuating the fear. But... The problem is the story with the Ukraine just keeps popping up. And just to give you some preface, back in 2014, when the Ukraine thing was happening then with the whole CIA toppling the Ukrainian government, I tried to form a protest to get people to realize that all this, you know, amping up tension with Russia was wrong. It could lead to war. And nobody was interested. Like, it was like, whatever, we don't care. I mean, I tried to explain simply and logically that Crimea was more Russian than Puerto Rico was American, or even Texas or California. And people still didn't understand what I was saying. You know, do you understand that Crimea is culturally more Russian than Texas is American? You, you understand that, right? Right, absolutely. The Crimea is something that the Russians fought and bled and died for. And uh, you know, the Donbass is actually, uh, Donetsk, I think, was... At one point, a British colony in the Crimean, uh, in the Ukrainian area, but you know, <clears throat> it's not it's not culturally British; it's culturally Russian. And I I don't understand a lot of what's happening right now because, as I see it, all of the hype about Russian military movement is misstatements, deliberately misstated by NATO people and by the Biden administration. The the the, the Russian troop build up a hundred thousand troops within two hundred kilometers of the border. But yeah, but um, that's further away from the border with the Ukraine than West Virginia parts of West Virginia are from Canada. I mean but now. Jim, can I also mention something too? Given that that's roughly half the distance almost, or at least a third of the distance between the Ukrainian border and Moscow, that's where you would train. If you were Russians, you would train there every year. Right, and, and, and they do. They, 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 they were not doing anything, you know, 
surprising or militaristic. And they were not on the border. Uh, they were not just over the border, you know, five kilometers away, you know. There's no evidence that the Russians are doing anything. They, they have uh, a joint military exercise with Belarus. Well, of course they do, because Belarus is an ally and it's on their border, and they have lots of mutual interests. And, and again, the fact that there's a joint exercise right now does not mean that Russia is planning to invade the Ukraine. Um, and and so all of this is, is silliness. And then I look at some of the response today. They had a list in Zero Hedge of some of the things that are being done. You know, the Latvian foreign minister said this and that. And planes, four planes were flown to Baltic states. And, and two planes, two F-35s were flown into, you know, a Romanian airfield. And and I'm, I'm thinking, wow. Well, two, two, two jet fighters. <laughs> That's great. Well, two F-35s, man. F-35s. <laughs> Crash monkeys. <laughs> planes, planes that fall out of the sky when you're not shooting. <laughs> crash test monkeys, like crash test dummies. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like when when you when you look at what's happening, and then and then the uh, the other thing that's you know the this admiral in Germany says, well, look, you know, the Russians are, are Christians and we should be uh, uniting with them and we should be concerned more about the, you know, godless communists in China. And, uh, and he resigned at, at, at the time he was saying these things. Um, so, you know, I don't know how much good that does, but he, he's, um, he's making that point. And uh, Germany gets its natural gas from Russia. So is Germany really motivated to, you know, respond to the, these imaginary Russian aggressions with uh, sanctions so that they then, what, freeze in the dark? I don't think so. I think it would be more interesting to see the, uh, the Germans selling solar cells and wind turbines to Russia because, you know, Russia has sunlight and some people think they have a lot of wind. You never know. I mean, here's the thing. I, I don't know to what extent um, someone like a Putin is an independent agent any more than I know if Biden is. I'm operating on the assumption that they're not and that the decisions that are being made are not being made by them. If the United States government were purely self-interested they would not be involved in the Ukraine bullshit because it doesn't do it. It doesn't really do anything for the empire. It really only sets it up for failure. But if our government is filled with sociopaths who want to make money off of human pain and misery, then there is that theoretical window for doing some nasty business in another country. It, it's a question. I, I, I think it would be insane to have a conventional war in the Ukraine between NATO and Russia. But at the same time, the, the last 20 years have had a lot of insanity. And so it's a, it's a tough one. I don't know. It, it's, I don't want to scare anybody about it. I don't think it's something you should be scared about. But given the last two years of nonsense, how could anybody have a high trust level of their government at this point? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think that any of it makes sense. 
And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I don't know whether this is just rumors of war or whether it is, you know, an oncoming war. Um, and it's the same thing with um, China and Taiwan and, and these other things in the South Pacific. You know, there's a lot of saber rattling and there's a lot of talk about, well, you know, the United States deliberately entered uh, Chinese territorial waters with one of their boats and was escorted away. And there's supposedly a huge incursion of Chinese aircraft into Taiwanese air defense space. And I'm like, so what? Yeah. What? I, I'm, 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 I'll be honest with you. I think for the last 30 years, while we've been using China as an inflation dump, I think we've also been helping the Chinese military and government. So I even today I would tell you that this is theater, the the incursions where they you know say go away America. I think that's theater and I think to this day the CIA helps Chinese intelligence. And I'll also add this. Because I think the monkey herpes pandemic is bullshit, the, the China what's going on in China does not look like pandemics or epidemics. It looks like a civil war that our own government is covering up for the Chinese. That's what it looks like. And all the fucking logistical bullshit, oh, they can't unload containers and we got to do this, we got to do that. All that could be cover for the fact that they're covering up the fact right now that China is in a period of dysfunction, not unlike the Cultural Revolution. And that was a 10-year period, you know, back in the 60s and 70s. So... Yeah, I I think it's a weird map right now. I don't think we are getting any good info from our government, obviously. The media is almost useless, pretty much. Um, all I can tell you is that their excuses for all this logistical crap, there are very few reasons, there are very few things that I could say make sense, given their excuses. And one of them is China currently has large sections that are basically unstable. Right, and who does a zero COVID policy? The idea that, that, that what they're doing is not rounding up dissidents, but is enforcing a zero COVID policy, I think is very specious. I don't think that's a very you know, logical understanding, but that is the understanding that is being conveyed by the Western media. They're, they're being very innocent about that. They're just taking at face value whatever press releases the Chinese Communist Party circulates. One of the things about this that you mentioned was that the CIA is probably helping the, the Chinese government. You know, back in that Cultural Revolution, 1970 or thereabouts, there were a group of Chinese generals and the rumor is that they wanted to overthrow Mao's government. They wanted to replace Mao because he was, you know, a crazy person. And they um, made contact with the U.S. government. And they made contact, which ended up in Kissinger's hands. And we all know that Kissinger preceded Nixon in going over to China. And my understanding is is that Kissinger sold those generals out, and they were arrested and they were tortured to death, and that's how Nixon ended up opening China, is through this this brazen act of betrayal and prolonging for many more years the you know Mao regime. Um, 
And that's if that's true, which I, I don't know that it's true, but it's something that I've heard. Um, you know, that's really terrible. And it's aligned with this idea that all of these, you know, agencies, all of these governments, they don't have agreement on who should run the world, but they do have agreement that they should be running the world. Some of them and not, and people should not be free and people should worship the state and not God. And so they cooperate, they work together on these things. And, and that's why rumors of war are usually a sign that there's some sort of stupidity going on. Well, and I also think in this context, you know, looking back to 1989, I was a freshman in college, and when Tiananmen Square happened, I was shocked. I was shocked not just by what happened, but I was shocked by the American response, which was almost nothing. It's almost nothing. We ended up giving the most favored nation trade status, I think, a few years later, after, after Tiananmen Square. And so... I look back at that and I think, you know what, probably Big Daddy Bush, I can't prove it, this is speculation, but probably Big Daddy Bush being the old CIA fuckhead he was, I bet he was helping the Chinese government during the Tiananmen Square affair. I mean, you remember all the stories about the fall of the Soviet Union, it was about, oh, it's about fax machines and cassette tapes. Well, they had fax machines and cassette tapes in Asia too, didn't they, Jim? It seems to me, though, if the CIA wanted to stop the communication, to control it, that was still a time before the internet became a big thing where they could do it. And so I think there's a history of them covering for the Chinese because, again, Wall Street and the Federal Reserve, they need an inflation dump. And China was an inflation dump for at least 30 years. You know, right. and, and Wall Street financed Hitler and Stalin and Mao and the, and the Japanese militarists between 1895 and 1945. Wall Street, it has bloody, bloody hands. The, the Wall Street investment houses put lots and lots of money into the hands of these authoritarian governments because they like authoritarian governments. You know, Prescott Bush was all over Hitler's Germany doing deals and making profits because he liked it. He liked the idea of tormenting people and putting them in death camps. And Prescott Bush's son was supposedly this, you know, World War II hero flying, I guess, airplanes off aircraft carriers or something in the Pacific. But uh, Prescott Bush himself was uh, in trouble and faced trading with the enemy as, as one of the things that they were looking into in 1942. And it was all, you know, brushed under the carpet and ignored. And, and this is part of the, the whole process. The, the process of history is that people are led to believe certain things, most of which are, you know, lies. And then the people who are actually doing wrong are exonerated and ignored and not made to pay for their crimes. And they're sons and grandsons are rehabilitated and, and put in positions of power. And that's how, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush is on the ground in Dallas on the uh, day that John F. Kennedy is assassinated and he becomes president and his son becomes president. And this is, you know, 
this is this is horrifying. This is this is America repudiating America. Except that I don't know that you know we have any more power over the elections than we do over the wars. No, and and also and and I'd like to move on to the next topic. But is there anything you'd like to say about this before we move on? Well, the only other thing I would say is is that I. I think there's going to come a day when tens of millions of people leave the cities and head to Appalachia and Ozarkia and Cordillera. They get up into the White Mountains of New Hampshire and the Appalachian Mountains of Kentucky and Tennessee and the Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas and Oklahoma, and they get up into different parts of the Rocky Mountain Range, especially around Kalispell and right around where you are. And, you know, there will be 200 million Americans leaving the coastal cities and going elsewhere. And um, the people who are leaving the cities should be thinking about what they can bring in terms of skills and seeds and ability to work and willingness to work. And the people who are receiving them in these mountain communities need to be thinking about how to provide for them places to live and things to do and crops to eat because it's going to be a hard, hard time. And I believe this is coming. And I do believe that God will provide bounty. I I do believe that God will increase what's in these places so that many, many can live. And I also believe in the loaves and fishes. I believe there will be miracles of that nature where people are fed with, there's less than enough to eat, but here, you know, the food is divided and it feeds the multitude. I think you're right. Yeah, that is correct. And so I think people, I think people should put their faith in God and they should not try to dwell in Babylon. I think now is the time to get out. If you haven't already, now is a good time to complete your preparations and get out of Babylon. So in the last, and I think it was this last week, um, the Biden administration and the Trudeau administration initiated this, you can't cross the border between Canada and the U.S. without a jab. And just so I can mention this randomly before I go to you, Jim, when I was a kid in Washington State, if you had a fucking driver's license, you could cross the fucking border and go to Canada. You didn't get your, you know, insides inspected. Nobody was looking up your sphincter with some type of camera. You could just cross the fucking border, you know? When I was, that was a long time ago, in a, a freer, not a free world, but a freer world. But can you ma- imagine such a thing? Well, when I was in high school, it was told to us in our you know history classes that it's the longest undefended border in the world that Canadians and Americans get along great and that going back and forth over the border is routine and normal and yeah I I went into Canada in 1984 with with a driver license I didn't have a passport with me and um, I managed to get hassled by immigration but that had to do with my buddy wanting to drive all of his stuff from Massachusetts to California because he was going to grad school and they were worried that we were trying to immigrate. Um, but we talked him out of, out of that and, um, 
and we got through it. And the, I've, I've crossed that border many, many times without, you know, documentation, but I don't do that anymore. Um, and it's not only the Canadian border, but also now uh, truckers coming in from Mexico are expected to you know, have taken the jab and show their jab paperwork. And part of part of the world we live in is, is that people are very creative about paperwork, and you can get you can get a document that shows that you've done nearly anything, um, you know. And it's not necessarily true that you've been jabbed, but you have a document that says you've been jabbed. But the process itself creates a lot of busy work that's going to slow down the trucking, don't you think? Uh, absolutely, and it's 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 more of the mindless stupidity of the state imposing a mandate and demanding that people comply, not because it's protecting anyone. In fact, I think that the jabs are poison and they, they do the opposite of protecting, they hurt people. Just as the masks were hurting people and still are, um, especially children. The little children being required to wear masks in school are having a much harder time learning. They are having a much harder time understanding what they're being told. And uh, they, they, they don't interact with each other the way they did uh, before masks. It's a, it's a horror show, and it's deliberate. And the people who are imposing it are being evil. And it's kind of, it's, it's sad and, and pathetic, but there are parents in, in cities like Seattle, San Francisco, L.A., that are gleefully sending their kids into these situations because they think they're doing the right thing. I gather, yeah. I gather they either think they're doing the right thing or they think they have to do this because it's part of what they're told they have to do. There was a, a recent uh, case where a journalist, um, I think I saw an, uh, a write-up of, of this on some website like Red State, but this, this journalist and his wife come from Montreal and they go to Florida for a vacation because they, you know, it's, it's cold and wintry in Canada. And so they want to, they want to get to the sunshine state, but they are uh, horrified that everybody in Florida is walking around outside, enjoying the sunshine, not wearing masks, not social distancing. And, uh, they and some other Canadians are on the veranda of, you know, the, the restaurant where they went to eat. They're outside. They've chosen to eat outside rather than indoors because they think that somehow it's, it's disgusting that Floridians are not wearing masks and are not social distancing. And I'm like, what's wrong with you people? Why did you leave your horrifying little sheltered existence in Montreal to come to Florida if you didn't want to experience Florida being Florida. Um, and the answer is, of course, that they hate mankind and they want everything to be as much like the hell that they're going through as possible for everyone else. Which And that's just so great. What's really great, though, is when you see the leaders of these um, cults going on trips and they seem to go to parties without masks on and they seem to be enjoying themselves. That's also fun. Boris Johnson is, uh, you know, facing some questions in Parliament recently because he had a whole bunch of these uh, parties at 10 Downing Street, and you know, they didn't wear masks, and they they brought their own 
they, they, BYOB on the invitation, they're not, they're not having any kind of consequences for them because it's, uh, it's a two-tiered structure. The, the people who run things don't believe that they have any moral obligation to obey the rules that they have set up for everyone else. And what is that? Well, that's evil. It is. I also think that if you're trying to traumatize people, letting them know that there are these double standards makes the trauma worse. Yes, I think that's deliberate. I think that they're trying to um, create resentment and make people feel bad and make people feel like they, they are uh, subservient and they're subjects and not citizens. And they're trying to make people feel that they are powerless in front of this monstrosity. And they want people to commit suicide and they want people to snap and do angry things and uh, be vengeful. Uh, and it's all part of them having control and power and lording it over everyone else. And they're trying to get people to respond out of hate and anger, which, of course, leads to the dark side. Yeah. Uh, plays into the hands of the evil ones. So you have a note about complexity. Yeah. That complexity fails asynchronously and discontinuously. And I would also add, not in a nonlinear way, but would you want to talk more about that? About how complexity fails? Well, it relates directly to this topic about the, you know, the vaccines and the jabs for crossing the border with trucks because that just seems like a little more, you know, an, another uh, wrinkle in the porridge, another piece of, of you know, insect life in the, uh, in the food supply. But uh, at the same time, you know, one of these things is going to be too much. At some point, things that have been working reliably are going to fail spectacularly. And it's not clear what it's going to be. What, what is it that slows down the supply chain that causes there to be empty grocery stores for weeks? Yeah. I don't know, but something is going to happen. And uh, the people who, you know, people like Klaus Schwab, who are sitting in there, mansions or in the bunkers below their mansions and are uh, enthusiastic about all of the things that are being done are not going to face these consequences. They, they have provided for their, uh, you know, their situation, uh, but they're laughing at everyone else suffering because that's what they like to do. You know, and, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Well, the way you were just talking about how it could fail and how it could be almost anything. It reminds me of this really old Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns goes to the doctor and, and he doesn't, you know, the doctor basically says he's got like a dozen different illnesses that should kill him, but basically they're all trying to get through the door at the same time. So none of them will kill him. And he's like, well then I can't be killed. You know, that's his, uh, that's his conclusion is he's immortal. He can't be killed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's probably not true for these people. But, um, or, the, but, you know, but, but more importantly, the system itself. Like, it, I'm amazed each day that the plates keep spinning, Jim. I really am. Every day that I wake up and things are still kind of working, 
You can still go to some crappy place and get some kind of crappy food and shove it down your face hole. I'm amazed that the beer still gets to the store, even if it does taste like it has an aftertaste now. I'm amazed that you can still get marijuana in Colorado. I don't like the fact that you have to do it the way you do it, but I'm amazed that all this shit's still working, dude. I'm amazed there's still deliveries of fuel. Every day I wake up that the stuff is still kind of working is amazing to me, Jim. Yeah, it is a tribute to the uh, enthusiasm and innovation and uh, willingness to work of people that when you look at what they do, they do a lot of things every day to make things work and to keep things together. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you meet some of the people around here who you know, do ordinary things, like they have a, a full-service gas station and a tire repair shop, uh, the guys working at, for example, Danny's Tire in Berryville, really smart, really competent, really knowledgeable, and they're just one of the many shops in this area and in this region that you know where I've I've had really good service because the guys really know their stuff. They know about cars and they want to make them work. They have a, a visceral desire to, to make machinery work right, um, and that's good because you know there are things like boiling water nuclear reactors in this region, not. Not very many and not very nearby, but uh, some of them are west of here, like, you know, Wolf Creek and Kansas. Um, and you have to want those things to not fail, because when those fail, uh, there are dramatic consequences to their failure. There are indeed. So one of the things... Um... My friend here in Utah has noticed, and maybe, and again, I, I think you try to avoid this kind of food, so you may have zero knowledge on this, but, but what you may know is that for a lot of people, college students, people who don't have a lot of money, and I've been both of those in my life, people will sometimes eat a lot of top ramen or ramen. And one of the things that my friend pointed out is that the ramen's pretty much gone at the grocery store here, and it's been gone for a while. Um, now, why is that significant? Because it's cheapest. It is cheap as fuck food. I'm not saying it's good for you. Probably good for you that it's gone, but it was food that allowed a lot of poor people to survive. Yeah. And it's gone here. Yeah, and I don't know where it comes from. I mean, was top ramen being imported, or was it something that they make here in the United States? I don't really Dude, know. Dude, I truly, I almost don't want to know, because I've eaten so much. If I knew the truth, I'd, I'd figure that I'm like 50% some type of beryllium at this point because of the stuff I've been eating. But I kind of don't want to know, dude. I, I think some of it's made overseas. I, I don't think it's super high-quality grains, um, whatever goes into it. It has about, one of those little ramens has about, I think, 400 calories, more or less, 400, 500 calories. And so you could get one of those ramen for just really a few years ago for like, I don't know, 20 cents or 50 cents or something. And so you could live, you know, not well, but you could survive for a while on very little money. And so I don't think people should eat this kind of food, but this is the kind of food a lot of poor people were eating just to get by. Sure, and now it's not available in the stores, and that's a sign that things are not going well. Um, I can still get uh, flour and sugar in the baking aisle, so I'm able to make bread and do things like that. 
but it is the case that um, you know a lot of people eat prepared foods or foods that are very easy to cook. I mean, you know, ramen, you have to heat up water, right? Yeah, you do. You, you, you put put it in the boiling water, and then after a little while, you can add the flavor packet, which, as I recall from the times I ate it when I was in college, uh, it's flavor packets are very salty. Lots of MSG, really, in a lot of them, I think. Yeah, yeah extra <laughs> sodium that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, here's the deal. I when I look back upon like the toilet paper bullshit in 2020, my first response was, "Well, this is dumb." But when I look back on it, I said to myself a few months later, "It's kind of smart though in a way. If you want to like trick people into not worrying about shortages, give them a bullshit shortage. Give them a boy who cried wolf. Oh my God, the toilet paper shortage. But nothing happened. So if you do that a few times, you kind of get people used to the idea that, yeah, maybe something won't be there, but it'll be back soon. Right. That's the pixelation of the supply chain. You can get something at the grocery store. It may not be what you were going to get, but you'll get something. Yeah. I don't know, dude. I have this quote from Dr. Freckles um, that I'm going to throw at you and see if you think it's dumb or not. Here's the quote. What made the petrodollar work other than bombs? China was our inflation dump. Japan was our credit card. Dr. Freckles. And I'll explain what that means. I think you know the bombs were part of it. I mean, obviously, the petrodollar, especially with the experience of Afghanistan and Iraq and all these other places and Syria... Clearly, one of the key ingredients to the petrodollar is blowing the fuck out of people. Isn't that true, Jim? It's true, but I need to take a moment, if you don't mind, and digress to the question of where did Dr. Freckles get his medical degree? Is he one of those doctors that got his medical degree okay. on the island of Grenada? Okay, there was, okay, there was, <laughs> he, he got it on island, but not, Gren not Grenada. There was okay. an island nation... That, that was in a giant lake in the mouth of an old ancient volcano. And that old ancient volcano went off in the Pacific, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, swallowed the island nation that was in the lake in the mouth of the volcano. So there, nobody can prove nothing, dude, about where Dr. Freckles got his degrees. He got it from a place that got swallowed by a volcano. I mean, shit happens, Jim. It's true. It's a very strange world we live in, and Dr. Freckles is among the strangest of the people in the world today. But um, I mean, I think. I, I, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I think the economic analysis that Dr. Freckles is promoting is is, is, is reasonable. It's that you know the the petrodollar and the euro dollar depend upon the. Uh, United States projecting force into other countries. And while that was a thing, while that was working, you know, it, it, the, 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 the dollar functioned because the U.S. was providing the defense for all of Europe. And so sending dollars over there was part of sending troops to Ramstein Air Base in Germany, blah, blah, blah. And uh, having the U.S. projecting force into the Middle East and conquering Iraq or whatever was part of securing their oil supplies, securing their 
favorite dictatorships and the Emirates and Qatar and Saudi Arabia. But without a functioning economy and without a functioning military, um, it's not going to be possible for that to continue. And that's a very complicated system as it is. It is. On the best of days. It and, is. And, and complexity yeah. fails in these asynchronous, discontinuous ways. Yeah. And the thing is, I think it's like a three-legged stool is what Dr. Freckles is saying. One of the legs is clearly the military, um, the use of the military to enforce the U.S. dollar as the currency for change, exchanging, buying, trading, and oil. So one of the legs of the stool is bombing people. Another leg, I think, and I think you'd agree, has been China. China has, at least until recently, absorbed a lot of fucking inflation for us. And so China has been that second leg. But the third leg, to me, seems like Japan uh, for the last 30 years. And keep in mind, Japan has been in kind of a structural recession for, for all intents and purposes. Japan has been in a kind of recessionary bound, a boundary um, boundary situation for about three decades. It's something a lot of people don't get um, in, eco in the economic terms, the Keynesian terms that people use. But one of the things that that allowed for was a lot of rinky-dink financial garbage, like the yen carry trade back in the 90s. And that rinky-dink garbage was a kind of credit card, Jim, except for we're not paying for the card. The Japanese are. Right, and the Japanese um, central banks in the late 80s and early 90s began this zero interest policy. They began forcing down the interest rates so that it was possible for big banks and people with lots of money to go borrow as much money as they wanted in Japan, pay zero interest for it. And then that was the, that was the carry trade, right? And, yeah. and then they, they converted those yen to dollars and they had a zero interest loan in effect. And they were able to do all kinds of hinky stuff with their money and it didn't necessarily benefit the Japanese economy. And so, and that went on for, you know, the last 30 years, it's still going on. Japan still has very low interest rates and they've hollowed out their economy and they've, they've created, uh, about one to two generations of people who have no upward mobility in Japan, no prospects for things to go well for them. Um, and uh, the leadership of Japan seems to be, you know, geriatric and blithely unconcerned about the fact that they have not provided for their descendants. Oh, it's it's absurd, dude. I remember reading um, Paul Krugman's trash on the, oh, what was his name? The Three Arrows guy who had these three policies as the prime minister of Japan back in 2013 or 2014, I think. But, you know, it was like, oh, they've got the solution to, to the structural stagflation, and they have the solution now. But they keep doing the same thing over and over. They've been doing exactly what you said, Jim, since exactly when? Since the late 80s, early 90s. All they've done is amped it up. Like, they, they, what they've done is they've gone from just the, zero, the low interest rate policy or zero interest rate policy to buying stocks, you know, which is what they say no one ever does. But now they do. They formally buy parts of the Japanese economy with printed money. I think it was Abe. Abe, Abe, Abe. Yep. yep, 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 Abe, you're right. 
And, and of course, they say Abe. We look at it. They say Abe, and we're like, "Is Lincoln back? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you shoot him in the head? Oh boy, she said that. Oh boy, <laughs> somebody, somebody did. Yeah, yeah, an actor, I think, an actor." I don't know, man. We're getting um, pretty close to the end here. But before we go, the last topic I think would be is if you want to talk about it, anything related to Ozarkia or Freedom Land or any of the projects you're working on. Is there anything you want to talk about along those lines? Well, I do, and I appreciate it very much. We're looking for people to help us with this Ozark herbal economy. I have been writing a business plan for it, and we've been talking about it. We do have treatments for people who took the job and have job remorse. So if you have a, a concern that you've onboarded a bunch of toxins and you feel like you need a detox, there are treatment regimens uh, that the Ozark Herbal Academy has put together and, um, you know, to chelate some of these metals that are in the jabs and to help people. And the jabs are different. They're not all exactly the same. So if someone knows someone who wants to try to detox from being jabbed, that's something that's available. And um, and we do need financial support. Um, we do have a database that people can subscribe to. Um, it's like $15 a month or hundred dollars for the year which saves you a lot over the month to month um, and it's you know it's got 29,000 30,000 article uh, entries and it links to 500,000 articles um, so it's a really useful database of, of healing knowledge and um, this is just one of the one of the infrastructure things that I think will make it possible for people to do well living and working in this area um, because there's a lot of uh, opportunity you know if people want to get involved in land use they want to invest in some land and grow crops or graze animals uh, there's a lot of that possible here and I do think we're going to be uh, hosting millions and millions of people in this region who are not here now, but will be coming, coming out of the cities and coming because, uh, you know, this will be a place that survives in the coming years and uh, cities, well, are, are not going, things are not going to be well for people who try to stick it out to the coastal cities. No, it's not. And, and it's hard to say, like you said, you know, I guess we could kind of just say this, but before we do, could you give us the um, domain name or link for the Ozark Herbal Academy? Sure, it's ozarkherbalacademy.org. So that's ozarkherbalacademy.org, as it is spelled. And, you know, Jim, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. If you don't know from my podcast, we have been, well, we've been friends since 2017, but we've, you know, we've been doing podcasts for almost two years now with each other. And, you know, if he's involved in something, it's not just about trying to be successful, but it's trying to be successful in a meaningful way, uh, in a way that makes the world a better place. So definitely, um, I've got a link to his Getter account. He is on Getter now as long as, as well as Twitter, and I just assume put the Getter link there versus the Twitter link. So I have a link to his Getter account, and so if you click on that link, 
that is one way for you to contact him. Is that okay, Jim? Yeah, that's fine. Getter.com uh, slash planetary gem. They don't seem to have, or at least on the web version, they don't seem to have a private channel. But uh, people can also uh, see my articles from time to time at the Libertarian Enterprise. And you have my email address. You can share with people you trust. Oh, you I have my can. phone number. You can share with people you trust. It's just so. that, you know, my own email situation has been very unstable in the last few years. So. Um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of that going around. A lot of that, yeah, a lot of that's going around. Well, other than that, Jim, I just want to say these are un- unpredictable, strange times. As you well know, it's easy to say, and it almost sounds like a cliche, but that's the time we live in. It's unpredictable. It's unstable. Doesn't mean all bad, you know. History is boiling. Yeah. History is boiling right now. History has become unstuck, and as history becomes unstuck, a lot of things that were not allowed happen and a lot of creativity that was kept under under the ground sprouts up and and the world changes so yeah it's going to be tough it's going to be hard but it could also be the most amazing time of your life isn't that true jim well i do think so and it really gets back to a question that we've asked a number of times on your show which is that you know given that they were grifting the living daylights out of the whole world why did they decide suddenly to, you know, throw a spanner in the works? And I don't have an answer to that, except that they're evil and they don't know what they're doing. And they make, they, I think they've made a terrible series of mistakes. The people who think they run the world don't. And for various reasons, they determined that they were going to do these upsetting things. And, um, it seems so senseless and so illogical that it's uh, almost, you know, annoying how how much suffering they're willing to inflict on other people because of some imagined goals that they have. Well, dude, it's like I've said, it, it looks like they're remodeling with dynamite. Yes, 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 yes. They're 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 not actually doing a good job of. Uh, demolishing the parts of the house that they uh, want to fix. They're throwing sticks of dynamite in and, and everything's blowing up. And, and then they wonder why it's so chaotic. Yeah. Well, Jim, I appreciate your time. Um, for my listeners, Jim is somebody who, when we can have him on, is on from time to time. You know, if we can have him on about every week, we probably will for as long as this kind of reality is still happening, and as I've told you in all my recent podcasts, um, we don't know how much longer any of this current reality will keep functioning. But that doesn't mean the world is coming to an end. It just means the world is changing, and it's something to keep in mind. And Jim, thank you for your time and your brilliance, and I hope you have a great day, okay? All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.